the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. 1006 as hour number two gets underway on AM 1420. The answer, thanks so much for being with us on this Wednesday. It's the 30th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. We approach Independence Day weekend, of course, with humility and respect. And uh, I want to spend this hour uh, talking about the educational system in the state of Ohio. Uh, there was a tremendous hearing at the Ohio House State and Local Government Committee uh, just a few short days ago, at which proponents of House Bills 327 and, to a lesser extent, uh, House Bill 322, uh, offered their reasons why it is so incredibly crucial for the state of Ohio to not allow the teaching of critical race theory, which is divisive and destructive, in Ohio's class, classrooms K-12. through Some of the proponents who offered testimony that day are with me right now. We are trying to make this a four-person uh, a roundtable panel, uh, but we are only able to get three of them on the line right now, so let's introduce them. The first is Sarah Fowler-Arthur. She is Ohio State uh, Representative in District 20, uh, District 99, beg your pardon, and she is a former member of the Ohio Board of Education. Sarah, can you hear me all right? Yes, good morning, Bob. Thank good, you. Good morning. It's good to have you. Okay, I'm hearing that in uh, echo. We've got to make sure that stops. Uh, as soon as we connected her, I'm hearing myself twice. I don't know if anybody else is. Can we uh, repunch that up, please? Uh, and while we do that, uh, let's say good morning to our next guest, which is Michael Goldstein. He is the director in the state of Ohio of Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. He helped write the language in the bills that are being pushed to ban the teaching of CRT. Michael, can you hear me all right? I hear you fine, Bob. Thanks for having us on today. Oh, good to have. Thank you so much. All right, and now I'm not echoing when I speak back to you. Uh, let's bring Sarah back in and see if we're good. Sarah, uh, let's punch her back up again. Are you still there, Sarah? I am here. Okay, Sarah's there. Michael is there, and we're good. Now we'll bring in Jonathan Broadbent, and here comes the echo again. Yeah, we're trying to put three lines together, actually four, and uh, 
kill that line, please? So that we can try this again. Uh, disconnect that line. All right. Well, we're going to work our way through this. Okay, now that echo is gone. Hopefully we'll be able to bring Jonathan in again in a second. Jonathan is the co-chair of the Protect Ohio Children Coalition, which is facilitated by Ohio Value Voters, of which he is a board member. All right, let's bring him in again. Jonathan, are you there? Okay, we just dropped Jonathan's call. So we're working. It's it's a little bit difficult to get four people on four separate phone lines along with me on the air at the same time. Uh, but we're working our, our tails off at doing that. So while we wait for Jonathan to reconnect, let's start with talking with Sarah Fowler. Because, Sarah, you are one of the uh, co-sponsors, along with Diane Grandel, of House Bill 327, the anti-CRT bill. And uh, that uh, crazy echoes back. I don't know if it's going over the air if it's just in my ear. If it's just in my ear, I'll deal with it. If it's going over the air, we probably want to fix that. Bob, I think it's just you. It's just me. Okay. Well, then I'll, uh, I'm not hearing I'll just suffer here. Um, okay. So, so, Sarah, since you are one of the co-sponsors of 327, can you give us a thumbnail sketch version of what it says? Uh, yes. Thank you. So I'm actually a joint sponsor, and the way that works is we have uh, two of us that are responsible for developing the language and making the proposal, and then um, the co-sponsors are, we have 35 additional co-sponsors from the House that are supportive of the intent of the bill. So um, it's actually now a substitute bill, and the substitute bill, uh, 327, says that uh, you cannot promote any divisive concept in the classroom, uh, which is defined as teaching students to hate one another based on external characteristics, treating students differently based on external characteristics. Um, primarily, those are the, the substitute bill includes all of the characteristics laid out in the Civil Rights Amendment of 1964. So uh, nationality, race, ethnicity, um, skin color, um, religion, and sex. So yeah. does the language, Sarah, Sarah, does the language in, in, in the, the substitute bill, um, it, does it say specifically anything about CRT or just divisive teaching? It, it is focused on divisive concepts being promoted in the classroom, and it does not specifically talk about critical race theory. And the reason for that is there are additional um, concepts that, we had concerns about coming out of a, a Marxist or neo-Marxist ideology that we wanted to really make sure we're not being promoted in the classroom. Now, our House Bill 327 does specifically allow for teaching about divisive concepts because we want children to know an accurate and complete history, but at the same time, it not to be promoted in the classroom. Okay, and, and, and I, I appreciate and respect that. It's interesting because you talk about divisive concepts that uh, seek to attack or minimize or marginalize or, or you know, target other people. Um, would it be fair to say, Sarah, that the bills that we are, or the bill that we're looking to pass and the goal that I think we all have here also should be that uh, concepts should not be taught that, that teach people to hate themselves? Because that's what a lot of people are concerned about. Critical race theory tells white people to feel bad about themselves because they are oppressors, whether they want to be or not. They were born as such. They were born with privilege and born with ideals of supremacy and so forth. And they are taught to essentially feel bad about who they are and what they are through no fault of their own. That's got to be a big part of this. That is a great point. And we really try to emphasize that as one of the divisive concepts, because regardless of your skin color, if you're uh, being taught that 
because of your nationality or your ethnicity or your uh, skin color that you are an inherently bad person outside of any actions that you've taken of your own. Right. Um, we believe that that is not an appropriate use of taxpayer money and appropriate use of the classroom and that it promotes an ideology completely um, different than our founding fathers had in mind when they said that this is a land of opportunity, a land of promise, and a land of hope for everyone and every nation and every person that came here. This is uh, Sarah Fowler-Arthur again. She is uh, Ohio State Representative in District 99. Let's move over to Michael Goldstein now, who is uh, the Ohio Director of Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. You testified before the Ohio House State and Gov- Local Government Committee as well on this, Michael, and you have been working very closely with Diane Grandel and, and Sarah in helping craft the language here. Uh, give me your take on the divisive concepts uh, part of this that, uh, that Sarah just spoke on. Yeah, I will. I want to make one small correction. I did mm-hmm. not help them write the bill. My little group I'm working with developed a separate bill, actually, for the Senate. And uh, ah, that's over good. there. Thank you. That's a good that's clarification. That's over there now. Thank you. And then when uh, we received the copy of uh, the original 327, um, we put together, uh, I wouldn't call it a critique, but suggestions for making it stronger. And we're doing the same thing with, we did the same thing with the substitute bill. We think there are ways to make it stronger. And uh, we're cooperating with the co-sponsors of the bill. But we didn't write the bill. They did that themselves. <laughs> they can you really give me an job. example? And Yeah, and I appreciate that clarification that you're working on the Senate side. So can you give me a clarif- or an example, rather, of how to make that bill stronger? Well, um, yeah, I can. I don't want to uh, step on the toes of the sponsors of the bill. There, there are a couple of areas we think... Uh, could benefit from some strengthening. One is in uh, the the way that critical race theory training gets funded uh, for the schools. And um, you know I'm an attorney, and uh, an attorney writes a contract. And when you do that, you try to cover all the possible contingencies um, that may happen. And what we've tried to do in our language is to close off as many loopholes as we can think of where the school's could uh, glom onto funding from one source or another. So we've made the language, suggested language, a little uh, more comprehensive and I believe stronger. And one of the area, other areas is to um, talk about enforcement. And um, if there are teachers who are teaching this stuff, you know, at the local level, it's, it's hard to know um, what they are teaching in a specific classroom and uh, the sponsors have added uh, something that we thought was very important, which is a right of private action where parents who believe their children are being harmed by this indoctrination can actually sue. Um, and we've made the, the suit language, we think, our suggestion is to make that very much stronger. We're worried that a judge may look at this in, in the future and say, well, yes, there's a right for the parents to sue, but... All we can give them is uh, equitable relief, meaning because the statute doesn't really say right. what we can do. But this means we can tell the teachers and the school districts, you can't teach this anymore. You can't do it. But, there's two elements. That, well, actually, let, let me jump in I'm, for a sorry, second. I don't want to step on Sarah here. Sarah, yeah, I'm yeah. Sorry. Let, let me jump in. Add, okay, can everybody hear me? I, I don't know if everybody can hear me or not. Can people hear me? Michael, can you hear me? I can. 
Okay, yeah, because we're kind of over each other here, and I'm not sure exactly why that is. Um, I wanted to bring Jonathan in, but Sarah, if you wanted to add something real quickly to what Michael said, go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to add that in the substitute bill, um, we did work a lot on tightening up um, knowingly or recklessly teaching divisive concepts in the classroom, and we've allowed for the State Board of Education to take uh, disciplinary action against the teacher or administrator's uh, license for knowingly or recklessly teaching, as well as um, prohibiting schools from uh, utilizing a a training for their teachers that promotes divisive concepts. So we're working on some of those areas, and obviously happy to continue having those conversations about where the right spot is. Yeah, you know, there are two words that, for me, have come out of this that are so far that are very important. One is the discipline. Like you said, what would happen if teachers take it on their own and violate state law, What which this would become if it goes through and is signed, violating state law and teaching this uh, divisive concept theory anyway. Uh, and the second part is transparency and fi- you know parents having a right to know what is being taught in their classrooms uh, and then, of course, having uh, uh, available avenues of, of redress uh, if they find out that it is happening. So that's all very important and i want to lead uh jonathan broadbent in with that jonathan let's try it can you hear me yes loud and clear can you hear okay. me all right yeah i hear you just fine yeah um, i'll deal with the echo on my end because it looks like it's only to me jonathan oh, you no. have spoken many times before many school boards all across northeast ohio starting and uh perhaps most importantly with your home district of beachwood but you have been everywhere advocating for uh children to not be indoctrinated with this kind of theory as well as you know comprehensive sex ed i don't know if we're necessarily going to get into that at the moment but but um how important is it for parents to have transparent access to what their kids are being taught, uh, especially given the level of danger that we think we're all identifying here if they're being taught this theory? Yeah, and that's a, that's a fundamental critical point that you make there. And there are parent groups popping up all over the place. Rocky River is a spectacular example. Rocky River and Bay Village Parents for Transparency uh, and these uh, community-organized grassroots groups of parents, they're calling, they're, they're uh, sort of referring to themselves as the mama bears, are stepping forward, organizing, and pushing for transparency. The issue, and there's a, a good segue today in particular, I actually was in Solon schools this morning at an 8 a.m. board meeting, and Solon has, is, uh, is a, a case in point um, relating back to 327 and the objectives and a, and a fundamental point that I want to make about um, state-level bill, and that is Solon has done all sorts of weird things to hide this curriculum. They have a PTA that's organized uh, loosely outside of the school in affiliation with student organizations, student um, uh, publication that has come out with a uh, survey. The survey is used to create curriculum pushed into the school pertaining to critical race theory and comprehensive sex ed and all this stuff. And this this weird configuration is being used as smokescreen by Solon schools to obfuscate uh, the transparency. They are um, they're hiding behind it and saying, "Well, you you can't have any of the information, Solon parents." because this is a student organization and we need to protect the autonomy and the independence of the students. And the PTA organization 
is giving us the curriculum, so if you want it, you have to go to them. They're grudgingly releasing the curriculum after the fact. So transparency hits the nail on the head. Um, yeah, that, that, and, that's crucial, and the fact that they're, they're, they're going to such lengths to hide it tells you that they do not believe that it is good for children, uh, or at least for all children, yep. and, uh, and that's why parents have a right to know before the fact. All right, I understand we do have Kirsten Hill on the line, too. I'm going to take our time out, though, as it is 1020. We'll come back and talk to Kirsten Hill about her testimony about uh, uh, House Bill 327 and about principals' roles in all of this and how uh, their careers are being threatened if they do not fight back against CRT opponents, in other words, in support of CRT being taught by their teachers. So we'll talk to Kirsten about that, and we'll continue with uh, Sarah and Jonathan and Mike as well right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it is 10.22. Now, we are going to try to uh, make this happen. Uh, I understand we do have all four of our distinguished panelists on the line now, and we're going to try to make this this work where nobody's phone drops. Uh, We have been talking with Jonathan Broadbent, uh, with Michael Goldstein, and with Sarah Fowler-Arthur about critical race theory and House Bill 327 and uh, getting it banned from being taught along with all uh, divisive concepts in uh, Ohio's K-12 through schools. Now Kirsten Hill joins us. She is a member of the Ohio State Board of Education. And Kirsten, it's good to have you. Thank you. Uh, Can you hear me all right? I can. Can you hear me? I hear you just fine. I'm glad we got uh, in touch. So I want to talk about your testimony here um, in this uh, hearing before the... uh, uh, the Ohio House State and Local Government Committee, you spoke about principals um, and that there are evaluation standards for school principals that are going to be put in place here unless we stop it, in which principals will be forced to push CRT to be taught by their teachers. Um, and if the teachers are not sufficiently teaching it, it can harm the principals' careers. It's almost like blackmail if the principals don't agree with the curriculum. Can you tell us more? Yeah, I can. Um, yes, and that's principals we're talking about, not principals. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So uh, the principal, uh, as in the role, you know, running a school, uh, there is a uh, very structured system, and currently the one of the um, committees of the board is looking at what's known as OPEZ, Ohio Principal Evaluation System 2.0, <laughs> So it's in the final stages before it would um, come before the full board for a vote. And uh, one of my astute um, co-board members um, took a deep dive into some of the uh, documents, because we get a lot of documents. Um, And on one of the pages here, to be an accomplished principal, um, it indicates that that administrator proactively addresses individual and collective behaviors across the system in their school mm-hmm. that disregard and or defy equity and cultural responsiveness. So that means if a teacher um, is not doing equity and cultural responsiveness um, practice in their classroom, that that principal is obligated, if they want to be an accomplished principal according to this evaluation, to proactively address um, that kind of behavior of defying equity and cultural 
responsiveness. I know I'm very interested in that terminology, Kirsten. Um, equitable and resp- uh, and uh, what was it? Yeah. Uh, uh, cultural responsiveness. Yeah, yeah, I can give you um, the uh, what equity means from from let's say our perspective. Um, and this was something that a fellow board member Lisa Woods had supplied was a list of definitions. And in fact, people can find it on my website, KirstenHill.com. Because that terminology is something that people need to, to know since the words critical race theory generally won't be found in the, their local school's curriculum. Right. They need to know the terminology to know that it's there. So, right. Um, anyway, the, the, word, the word that's interesting to me there isn't even equity or cultural. It's responsiveness. Okay. Because what it's making it sound like is that teachers are going to be forced to respond to or deal with issues involving equity that may arise. That doesn't necessarily mean they have to be proactive in teaching critical theory or critical race theory, does it? It, it, culturally responsive means um, is a kind of pedagogy or the type of teaching that emphasizes that they that the teacher includes the students' cultural references in the curricula. And, and mm. in my in my um, responses to the question for, uh, from from the minority member um, leader last week, um, I focused on essentially we're looking at a more students. You know, currently the practice is to be students centered instead of topical-centered or focused on, the, on what we're supposed to be there learning outside of the students. All of this to me shows student-centered, and actually even student-centered is a, is a um, term to explore because it, it hooks into critical theory and all yes. that as well. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it absolutely yeah. does, and I think, think that's extraordinarily important. I want to move over to Sarah now, who was, of course, okay. formerly a colleague of yours on the board before she was elected to the State House. Sarah Fowler-Arthur, um, what she just pointed out is very, very important about student-centeredness and about, you know... Um, uh, about the the actual curriculum itself outside of history, the critics of those of us who criticize CRT say we don't want history being taught about slavery and about the Civil War and about the uh, uh, you know the attacks on indigenous people, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not even about history classes, right? Tell me how much of this is going to be impacted by CRT being put into math. We have been told by several CRT proponents that math is racist, requiring the correct answers is not necessarily fair and equitable to people of all cultures they're saying the same thing about grammar now there there are there are degrees of correctness of grammar that marginalize people based on their culture so that that's a that's a that's a tall order here in a in a classroom isn't it absolutely and that is why uh in house bill 327 we don't focus on any one subject area but in a uh every subject that would be taught in the classroom any conversation that's being had that is why we specifically say that divisive concepts are not to be promoted uh, in k-12 or higher education and why it is so urgent that this bill has hearings and that it be um, voted on and put into place because I got a call from a math teacher in my district mm-hmm. about two weeks ago wanting to give me specific examples from uh, some of the resources that she has access to as a teacher, not necessarily a specific curriculum name, but those professional development resources, those third-party associations that she has, and they were promoting uh, 
looking at students differently because of their skin color or because rather than at their ability and rather than helping them to shape and develop their understanding of the subject matter, she felt like she was being asked to look at them differently because of their skin color and to treat them differently. And she said, mm -hmm. I thought that was the entire point of teaching is that we were supposed to treat students in a way that helped them excel in the subject matter, not that targeted them with specific um well, you're, you're, you're right. That is the point of teaching kids. Uh, and it's also the point of the Civil Rights Act, for goodness sakes. And it's also the point of what Dr. Martin Luther King expressed in his infamous dream speech. You, you're, you're being told now not to judge these kids by their character and their abilities and about their, and, and to help them improve their skills. You're being told to judge them by how they look, by the color of their skin and to treat them appropriately and to treat them, uh, you know, um, quite frankly, unfairly. Uh, the expectation or the bigotry of lower expectations is on full display here. Uh, Sarah, I apologize for that interruption, but it is 10.30, so we're going to get to our newscast. We're going to continue on the other side. Michael Goldstein will be up next talking about critical theory and how this is not new. This isn't something that was developed in the 90s or the 80s. That This is this is Marxism, and it, and it began in the 20s, and it has been against the Constitution from the start. So we'll hit that next as we continue. Michael Goldstein, Jonathan Broadbent, uh, Kirsten Hill, and Sarah Fowler-Arthur back with us right after this. All right, it's 1034 now. We continue with our round panel discussion, round table panel discussion, rather, uh, on AM 1420, The Answer, talking about critical race theory, but not necessarily critical race theory by name. Uh, it is being called in the bill that is being pushed uh, in the Ohio House by concerned uh, representatives, including Sarah Fowler-Arthur uh, and Diane Grandel. Uh, House Bill 327 is about divisive concepts, banning the teaching of divisive concepts. Clearly, critical race theory would be included in uh, that, uh, you know, in that description. And joining us uh, in this discussion is Sarah Fowler-Arthur, again, a member of the Ohio, Bo or the, uh, Ohio State House. Uh, we have uh, Kirsten Hill, a member of the Ohio Board of Education. We have Michael Goldstein, who is uh, the Ohio Director of Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. And we have Jonathan Broadbent. Jonathan is the co-chair of the Protect Ohio Children Coalition, which is put uh, uh, facilitated, facilitated by Ohio Value Voters. Um, Michael, I want to go to you now just to talk a little bit about something that you had mentioned to me about critical race theory itself, about CRT, or excuse me, about critical theory itself, rather. Not critical race theory, but critical theory. This is not new. Uh, critical theory was, as you describe it, an enemy of the Constitution from day one in the 1920s. How does that play into what we are seeing uh, with the indoctrination of kids regarding critical race theory here in 2021? Well, first of all, we have to know how these people think, Bob. Um, they don't think like we do. In traditional Western theory, knowledge is based on truth, and truth is based on verifiable facts. Critical theory and critical race theory people, they don't believe that. They firmly reject that theory um, because they believe that objectivity is a myth. Um, they abandon conceptions of knowledge and partiality, and they hold there are no universal truths, and they rely instead on stories and myths. So this is why the editor of the New York Times um, 1619 project was very comfortable in responding to criticisms about the inaccuracy of it by saying, well, that doesn't matter if it's inaccurate. We're changing the narrative. She says that the 1619 project is not history, was never meant to be history. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and instead, it changed the narrative from American exceptionalism to what the 1619 Project says, that the entire uh, enterprise of America was based on the protection of slavery. Okay, so that's, so she's completely unabashed and not embarrassed that uh, it's all wrong. Um, so this is what they believe. So um, when you talk about critical theory, we know they don't think like us. Uh, the uh, this was founded by a, a group at a at um, a college in Germany, uh, Institute for Social Research in Frankfurt, Germany, to develop Marxist studies. And later, when the uh, the Nazis beat down the communists, these people had to leave, and they came to the United States, the Columbia University Teachers College in New York City. They became known as the Frankfurt School, modeled on the Moscow-based Marx Engels Institute. Now, in their original critical theory manifesto, uh, the Frankfurt School developed an unremitting attack on Western institutions and norms in order to tear them down. That has always been their object, and it has, uh, it's never stopped. Um, they tried to foment a Marxist resolution against our workers. They wouldn't do that because the workers believed in... Uh, family, nation, state, the capitalist system, and God. So that didn't work. So they moved on to um, using our minorities to divide us that way instead mm -hmm. of the classical communist way. And they said they would have to create new categories of grievance, which they did. And then when we get to critical race theory, um, oh, um, and just one thing they said in critical legal theory, because I won't go into it much, but quoting their, their words, leftism aims to transform existing social structures on the basis of a critique of their injustice. The goal is to replace the system piece by piece or in medium or large-sized blocks with what they call a better system, unquote. So in critical race theory, of mm -hmm. course, everything is about race, and they have a ceaseless assault on all American institutions and norms including enlightenment ideas and political arrangements in which law protects individuals pursuing their own interests. Um, it questions the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, not equity theory, but equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment, rationalism, neutral principles of constitutional law, strong okay. protections of property, etc., and any notion of equal protection, freedom of speech. So what you have okay, let, let me jump in here for a second, Michael. I want to get some other people in, and I want to talk to Jonathan about what, what Michael just said. Jonathan Broadbent, do you believe, uh, here's my thought, I, I don't necessarily think that all of today's proponents of critical race theory are Marxists. I don't think they are all uh, you know, ingrained in that theory of division and tearing down and rebuilding and so on. I think a lot of them are just virtue signalers who saw the summer of quote-unquote racial reckoning last year after the George Floyd thing, who said, yeah, we've got to do something about racism, and so we've got to institute this thing. That's, that's just a, a, an outside observer's opinion. That's not to say that there isn't Marxism, Marxism, Marxism at the core of this, there is, as Michael just pointed out. But do you think that all of the proponents are trying to literally institute, you know, um, uh, cultural Marxism in the United States, or are they just all kind of being led around by the social uh, trends of the day? Well, I definitely think they're being misled, and I think they're being intentionally misled. And just like any good lie has a grain of truth to it, there is racism. You can find it, and when you find examples of it, you can highlight those and really, <clears throat> excuse me, you can and just pump those into society. Uh, examples like the death of George Floyd and 
um, the uh, the perceived police brutality, um, the white on black, uh, etc. You can use those as points of antagonism <laughs> to really rile up community. And I've thought from the very beginning um, that this, as to Michael's point, is intentional misleading of the public. Uh, Jonathan, are you still there? I think he dropped, because that was too abrupt of a thing for him to end his statement. I think he may have dropped. Uh, Sarah Fowler, uh, Kirsten Hill, do you want to pick it up there? Yeah, I I will um, pipe in a little bit. I'm here. sorry, are you there? Uh, can you uh, hear me, Bob? I hear you, Kirsten, but I think Jonathan just came back in. Jonathan, your phone dropped for about 10 seconds okay. or so. Are you still there, Jonathan? I apologize for that. Um, have you moved on, or can I... No, no, go, go ahead and finish your thought there, and then we'll go to Kirsten Hill. She was about ready to jump in for you, but go ahead. Sorry, phone troubles this morning. So um, I've been thinking all along that that this is designed to feel attractive um, to white people who want to kind of go back and and address uh, grievances from our past as a a society, etc. And it's designed to make certain um, black folks feel the victim and feel that they're owed restitution. But I don't believe that that it actually has as its objective, the accomplishment of those. And yesterday, somebody introduced me to a gentleman by the name of Jason Whitlock. I'd not heard of him before, but he penned a recent article, Dear Black America, We Are Being Lied To, which caught my attention. I read it yesterday, and I think it hits the nail on the head. It's a black man talking about how they are being deceived and led down the wrong path, not to social equality, not to financial and economic equality, but toward Marxism, and exactly to your point, Bob, I, th- I think a lot of the people that are merrily marching down this path don't understand why and how and with what intention they're being misled. Um, yeah, Jason Whitlock's article was phenomenal. I am endeavoring to get him on the air. I have talked to him in the past. He used to be a sports columnist, like I used to be a sports radio host, who has kind of veered uh, into the political and the cultural realm, and he is terrific, and that article was spot on. So thank you for referencing that. Kirsten Hill, go right ahead. Yeah, I um, was uh, I, I um, collected quite a bit of information about critical race theory, and I'm talking to groups about it. Uh, around the state. And one of the items um, uh, responds to Sarah's example of the math teacher that um, was in contact with her. Uh, and this would be sort of a customary route that some of this information gets, um, let's say, pumped into school through the teachers. They uh, All the teachers and administration schools and so on belong to associations. In this case, the Ohio Council of Teachers of Mathematics uh, there was an article in the Akron Beacon Journal, and this was back in April, and uh, a, a part of the quote from the director of the Ohio Council of Math, um, Teachers of Math is that there's an overrepresentation of white students and often Asian students. Um, and the lower tracks, we have an overrepresentation of students of color. So um, on the ground, these various associations, uh, along with their workers in the schools, are you know trying to further uh, their aims? So I I thought I'd just point that out because there's there's a lot of structure in education and and that's just one more path that the information gets in. Yeah, uh, let's bring Sarah Fowler Arthur back in uh, Ohio House District uh, uh, 99 representative. 
you want, if you can respond to anything that Kirsten had go right ahead, uh, Sarah, but I wanted to ask you specifically about something that, that Jonathan was talking about. Um, you know, th- there is, and I mentioned this phrase before, there is a bigotry of low expectations, I think, that is baked into critical race theory. It suggests that black people, and in particular black children as it uh, pertains to education, are less capable of achieving at the level that whites and Asians can. Uh, and that's why uh, their culture needs to be uh, taken into consideration. The history of their ancestors needs to be taken into consideration. And we need to give them a break, as I brought up before, with math and with with grammar, proper grammar, and so on and so forth. It's essentially suggesting that black kids, because they are oppressed, and CRT teaches that you are either an oppressor or you are oppressed, that because they're oppressed, they can't rise to the level of other kids. How is this doing them any good? How is this helping them to achieve at their highest level and to, uh, you know, and to, to feel great, great about themselves if they're told that the oppression they suffer limits their abilities? Well, and more to the point, is it overlooking true existing issues? I mean, there are many, many studies that point out the detrimental effects of uh, lacking family structure or of poverty, and these have consequences across socioeconomic um, and family backgrounds and uh, ethnicities. And so we are seeing that perhaps we aren't addressing the real underlying issues when those um, are masked. And I think that the goal of the bill is to take us back to viewing our our diversity as our greatest strength rather than our greatest weakness and looking at how we overcome other barriers together as as a nation of people that have overcome obstacles in the past and that are equally valuable both in the sight of God and under the law and that is really our objective, is to make sure that we are looking at um, the real underlying actual issues, but not putting uh, or pitting people against one another based upon external characteristics. Yeah, I, I love your phrasing that diversity is our greatest strength, but only if all of those diverse cultures and races and ethnicities and whatevers are celebrated. When one or more of them is denigrated and said you are evil because of things that you didn't do and that happened in, in previous centuries, um, then our diversity is not our strength. Then our diversity becomes, you know, com- competition, animosity rather than diversity. Absolutely. And. Of course, we have we have examples of this. You know, it's not just um, Black Americans that face discrimination or uh, un um, complementary practices. We've had periods of history where, unfortunately, uh, ethnicity was used to define someone, whether it was uh, Japanese Americans in internment during uh, World War Two, yeah. whether it was um, <laughs> Irish Irish immigrants during the potato famine when people weren't real happy that they were coming. We have all we have periods of history that were not our brightest moments, but we really need to teach them accurately so that we learn from those mistakes, so that we grow together, and so that we remember that um, underpinning them all was the Declaration of Independence ideal that every man is created equal and woman. 
<laughs> and that therefore we want we we should be striving to achieve this better every day. And we want children and teachers and classrooms and places of employment to promote and to support the idea that underpins all of America, and that is regardless of who you are, what your background is, what your skin color is, you are valuable. You can contribute to our society. You are not defined by external characteristics, but by your personal character and motivation and work ethic. Uh, that's Sarah Fowler. Arthur is part of our panel. I'll leave a response open to anyone. Kirsten, Jonathan, well, Michael. No one, <laughs> yeah. if, if no one wants to jump in, I'll just also add real briefly that um, this is a reason that we don't limit Household 327 just to the education space, but also to state and local government employers because um, we don't believe that as an employee you should be coerced into adopting a particular ideology that puts anyone else down in order to stay employed. Very important. And and, and yeah. also, it should, it should, I would imagine, stop supervisors, foremen, CEOs, bosses of any type uh, from, from, you know, advancing this type of, of, of theory. Uh, because it does, it does do harm in the same way that a teacher doing harm to a child, it does do harm if, if people who are supervisors or bosses force their, uh, force their employees to adopt this kind of thing, or even just to parrot it back if they don't feel it. Um, that's, that's a violation of their rights, is it not? We believe so, especially uh, under coercing someone to have to say specific things or to uh, adopt specific beliefs in order to remain employed. And I heard Kirsten, I think, jumping in. So, Go ahead, Kirsten. Yeah. Um, it's, we uh, get a lot of information about what the outcome is and uh, the, the powers that be that, that push from the woke side that push this. They say that um, black, indigenous people and people of color, you know, have disparate outcomes. So, oh, it must be that the cause is racism. But so they kind of gloss over that part, the very important part of um, digging into the, 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 the reasons, the causes for this. They've automatically assumed and, and um, you know, projected on the rest of us that it must be because of, you know, white people's racism versus right. these other causes, as, as Sarah pointed out. All right. That, thank you, Kirsten. It's 1051. I've got time to wrap this up with a short segment. On the other side, we'll get Jonathan and Michael back in here with their last thoughts, too. And I want you to consider this. I would like to know what the expectation is for the potential passage of 327. And if it does, whether or not it would be signed by our governor. Uh, we'll try to wrap it up with that after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 10.54, so I do have a little more time than I thought I would to hear from our panelists one final time each. Uh, uh, Michael or Jonathan, uh, whoever wants to go first, uh, give me your final thought on where we are with 327 and whether or not you think it will pass and uh, what, our, um, or what our options are if it does not. I'll jump in. Okay, I'll go. I um, think 327 will pass in the House, um, and I think there will be a similar bill in the Senate and I think coming out of the conference committee, we're going to want, we've looked at bills from all over the country that have passed. And frankly, some of them are pretty weak. 
Um, but I think this is going to be the strongest bill that any of the states will pass because we're really concerned about our, our kids. And I want to just say one other thing. Um, because historically, uh, as a historical scholar, I've realized that this has been an attack on the Constitution since the word go. And I and everybody who's in state government, too, has taken an oath to defend the Constitution of the United States. And what I'm doing and what our legislators are doing in the case of this bill um, is is acting on their oath and defending the Constitution. I think it's really important we look at it from that perspective as well. As well, I'm glad to be working with the sponsors, and I think they're, they're terrific. And the substitute bill is much better than the original bill, and we can talk about other ways of making it stronger. Terrific. Thank you, Michael Goldstein. Jonathan, go ahead. Yeah, uh, thanks, Bob. I I see tremendous momentum for this, and I'm very hopeful. But I want to express an important point. I want to encourage anybody listening and anybody willing to step in and get involved in school districts to look at the passage of this bill. I'm very hopeful that it passes, but look at it as a tool. It's a resource. It will not work all on its own. It's up to us, we the people, the parents, the taxpayers, the grandparents, the people that are concerned about the value and quality of education to step in and do more of exactly what we're doing, looking over the shoulders of school boards, looking through curriculum, regardless of this bill and whether or not it passes. We need to, to be way more involved than we have been. We've, we've taken our eye off the prize for a couple of decades now, and some ne'er-do-wells have stepped in. They wanted to take control of education, and they did. It's up to us to fight back, and that's part of that is this bill. But a big part of it is also doing things like um, the wonderful opportunity I had this morning to go in and speak directly to Solon School Board and Superintendent. But uh, by all means, if you have the if you have a computer, jump online, watch the videos, get curriculum, look at the reading lists attend meetings, step in and get involved, please, in, in your local school district. You have uh, you have spoken and organized uh, so many parent groups and educated them on this and gotten them in those school board meetings like you are as well. That's great work. And uh, for people who don't know, again, the website is protectohiochildren.net, protectohiochildren.net. Jonathan, thank you. Uh, Kirsten Hill, as a member of the Ohio Board of Education, you're crucial in this. Your final thought. Yes, I'm glad that Jonathan said that about uh, the bill by itself won't make all things fixed in education from kindergarten through the end of college. Um, It will take a lot of people at a lot of levels. And on the state board, um, you know, uh, the members who understand what's going on and see the evil here uh, we'll be working away. Um, one of the things we do is look over rules and standards and evaluation systems. So, uh, you know, we have our work cut out for us, and we need we need we need support on the state board of education. So, anybody who wants to um, help out, uh, you are most welcome to you know jump on and testify at the state board and let us know um, you know your thoughts uh, because the. Public is highly influential into the you know into the decisions of the board. So I would encourage yeah. people to look at that. The uh, the music is playing here, so Sarah, I apologize. I'm only going to have 40 seconds for you to wrap this up. Uh, you're the co-sponsor of House Bill 327. Is it going to pass? I hope so. And involvement is important, but we have to keep our eyes on the goal. And the goal is that no student be demeaned 
understand that no employee be punished because of a sincerely held belief that all people are created equal and have an opportunity to succeed in America. Sarah, thank you so much. And again, I apologize for cutting you short there at the end. I want everybody listening to contact their Ohio state representatives and their state senators to tell them how strongly you support House Bill 327 so that we can indeed make sure that schools are safe for our kids in all manners. Thank you all for your participation today. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.